You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast with Pastor Daniel Williams as we go through a series called God Redeems, a study through the book of Exodus. So if you have a Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 27. It's where we find ourselves tonight. And if I've met you, my name is Pastor Daniel. So excited you're here with us to study God's word, whether you be in the room, some new faces or online. Uh, We're so blessed to be able to continue our study Through this incredible series, God Redeems, it's an in-depth look of Exodus where we're literally just going like chapter by chapter and even breaking it down verse by verse. Uh, That is a distinction of our church. We love going through the Bible, expository teaching, and uh, one of our key values, our core values of the church is just speaking life, speaking life into one another. And what we want to do and speak life and truth into one another is Be one that brings and elevates God's word into our lives. And so as we not only have Bible study, but as we live life together, as we're discipling one another, uh, Jesus is our final authority through scripture. And so we want to be men and women of scripture where um, we get to study it, linger in it, ponder on it, meditate on it, um, and speak over it. And it's just one of the joys of my life to be able to teach the Bible, to be able to come humbly before you to study to pray. It's like every week I wrestle with God, like, what do you want me to say? You know? And he's just faithful. I mean, it's a very high stress level job because every week I'm like, I have no idea. These are eternal truths. How do I communicate it to people in our time? And the spirit of God is so faithful to shepherd his people well by giving gifts. And he just allows us to study it together. It's so awesome and just mind boggling for me to be up here, to stand here and talk in front of you is incredible. And we not only speak words of truth on Sunday nights during our services, but also during the week. I do live devotionals. We turn it into a podcast. And so you may want to check that out. You may want to join a community group. You may just want to read the Bible together. Hey, it's all good. We're Christians. We love scripture here, right? Amen? Okay. So tonight, as we get into the second half, or maybe a part two of this courtyard of the tabernacle, um, I'm calling it the courtyard of the tabernacle because there is some distinction, and I'll make that apparent to you. We're going to be covering verses 9 through 21. We saw the video, but I do want to read it out loud to you um, because I think it's important. Uh, I think it's important just to to see it, to hear it, to memorize it. Um, And last week, Um, We did an incredible long Bible study, which was just fascinating and awesome. Found ourselves in Leviticus. Time will be in little numbers. I was telling Robin, I'm like, man, all these other books of the Bible, you think like, why is numbers in there? Whoever reads Leviticus, they've been such a great help for me in this study because they're actually the order of what the priests are supposed to do and how they're to worship. And all these things, you're seeing God like put stuff together so much so he can like tell Moses to build something that will later thousands of years point to the Messiah, Jesus, and our mind is being blown by it. At least mine is. I don't know about yours, okay? So last week we studied this bronze altar. It's in the courtyard. And of course, there's a bronze laver we'll actually get to in two chapters after we deal with sort of the priest and their role in the whole tabernacle. And so we've been uh, focusing uh, really from the inside out, So we're on the outside of the courtyard, the barrier, the fence, I'm going to call it tonight. I'm giving you these different technical terms because the tabernacle is all of it. But there's this outer boundary, this courtyard. Then there's a a center tent in the middle of it with different curtains and the holy place and the most holy place. Uh, And sometimes it could just be so confusing. Again, I was telling Laura this week, I was like, I want to keep on repeating myself because I think even before this study as a pastor, it'd be like, wait, what's in, the, what's in the courtyard? Where's the Ark of the Covenant? Where's this? Where's that? But I pray as we're like just slowly going through it, you're seeing pictures, you're reading the scripture, you're studying these important things that you sort of know like, 
what this is about. And this chapter, a simple outline, a breakdown of this courtyard is verses 1 through 9. The sacrifice of uh, Christ is clearly and evident and prominent in that text. It's the presence through sacrifice or the bronze altar that we studied last week. The whole sacrificial system of why was that important? How did it point us to Christ and all those things? Hence, we're singing a lot tonight about the blood of Jesus because you know the significance of that. Uh, the outer wall, where we're studying tonight, verses 9 through 19, sort of talks about how God's presence is guarded. There's some barriers to it. Uh, there's some things that, that you can't just run into and go in the presence. You've got to go through the sacrifice. And so there's a guard around. God wants you to go through the gate and enter in a certain way. And then lastly, there's the oil for the lamp, verses 20 through 21, God's presence with us, which I think is key to this passage. So my prayer as we study this courtyard is like David. I was thinking about this in Psalm 84 too. He says, my soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. We're studying about the court. He says, my heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. This is something significant that many Psalms would talk about the court of God as people would enter in and celebrate God's goodness as they knew the significance of what we're studying tonight. And so, um, and as we always study and go to God's word, uh, we're going to ask the spirit to teach us. He is our great uh, helper and teacher. And so what I'll do is let's read the text, uh, verses 9 through 21, all together. You just heard it. It's not as cool. It's American accent, not as British one. Okay. Uh, but there are some people here with the British accent, so you can just talk to them later. Um, it sounds always better when it's, when it's a different language, whether it be a Hispanic or Latin American, whatever. But I will just try mine. I heard, that, I heard people say I have a southern twang. It's for my dad. He grew up in the south, all right? Okay, verse 9. Read with me in your Bibles or on the screen. You see it. It says, you shall make the court of the tabernacle. This is what we're talking about here. God is directing Moses. On the south side of the court, there shall be hangings of fine twine linen, a hundred cubits. Now, I have a hard time saying that. I've been saying cubics, but I'm actually saying cubits. My, my son brought that to tinch my attention. Listen, you get what you pay for, guys. <laughs> it's 20 pillars and their 20 bases shall be bronze, but the hooks of the pillars and their uh, fillets? No, that cannot be right. What is that word, people? You read along with me, verse 10? Fillets, that's what it is. Again, thank God that I didn't have to build this thing. There shall be silver, and likewise its lengths on the north side, and there shall be hanging a hundred cubits long, its pillars twenty, and their bases twenty of bronze. But the hooks of the pillars and their fillets shall be of silver. And for the breadth of the court on the west side, there shall be hangings for fifty cubits uh, with pillars and ten bases. The breadth of the court is the front to the east shall be fifty cubits. And hanging for the one side of the gate shall be 15 cubits with their three pillars and their three bases. And on the other side, the hangings shall be 15 cubits and their three pillars and their three bases. For the gate of the court, there shall be a screen 20 cubits long of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen embroidered with needlework. It shall have four pillars with them, four bases. Aren't you glad that we saw that video so you're not just getting lost in all of this? Okay, But this is important to have instruction for those that would build it. 
and all the pillars around, verse 17, the court shall be uh, filleted with silver. Their hooks uh, shall be of silver and their bases of bronze. And the length of the court shall be 100 cubits and breadth 50 and height 5 cubits with hanging of fine twine linen and bases of bronze. All the utensils of the tabernacle for every use and all its peg and all the pegs of the court shall be of bronze. Verse 20, you shall command the people of Israel that they bring to you pure beaten oil for the light, that a lamp may regularly be set up to burn in the tent of meeting outside the veil that is before the testimony. Aaron and his sons shall tend to it from evening to morning before the Lord, and it shall be a statue forever to be observed throughout their generations by the people of Israel. So you get now why I have to pray, right? Okay, let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this instruction that you gave to real people at a real time and a real history in a moment. But yet in your sovereign plan, you decided to use this text to minister to us today. You aren't just ruling and reigning out there, but your providential hand is here. You know everyone here listening to my voice in the room, online, wherever they are, whenever they are, and hear this. God, your spirit can teach and has the power to teach us who Jesus is to give us revelation. And so, Father, we ask for revelation from your Spirit to lift Jesus up in this place, that you would use this study to really have our hearts fall more in love with you, to have a passion for you, to be wooed by you, and to just submit our lives to you once again in worship. We worship you now with our minds, and we just ask, Lord, for you to continue to be glorified. And it's in your name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Well, let's start with the text work, our context of the scripture of this outer wall. It's a lot. It was a mouthful. You saw the visual. You read the text. But man, so far we've been looking from the inside out. We're on, we're on the, the last section, the outer courtyard, and sort of this fence and perimeter, our barrier of the tabernacle. And the tabernacle included not only this barrier and the courtyard, but it also included another tent. It would also be known as scripture called the tent of meeting. And it would have a holy place, and a most holy place. Two-thirds of the place would be a holy place. It would have some furnishings of pure gold and wood, made out of wood and pure gold. Uh, in the most holy place, there would be the Ark of the Covenant. That would be the third. It would be separated by a veil. The other two-thirds would be the holy place, and they would have three furnishings. It would be a, a gold lampstand, the altar of incense, and it would be the table of showbread. Now, this uh, is all wrapped up in when someone says, in the Bible, the tabernacle, okay? This is why things get confusing because you're like the tabernacle, cubits, what is that? Blah, blah, uh, and you get lost and you just zone out and you move on. The Bible says for us to study, to ponder. Outside of this tent, okay, there was a veil on the east gate going into the holy place, most holy place, and outside of the tent, there was really nothing special. It actually had a four-leather leather covering and at the outside of it, it was almost like a brown leather and it was just in the desert. And there would be this courtyard where some other furnishings, the bronze altar and the bronze laver or basin, some translations translate. This is the tabernacle and yet the tabernacle means the dwelling place of God. This is where God dwelled, decided to be with his people. And this is an important principle for us as we sort of look through the tabernacle that God wanted to dwell with his people. This is all instruction to Moses so that they would know and have a place where they can go and dwell with God. 
Now, you would remember the history of this study and series. It seems like an eternity ago, but the Israelites actually got freed from the Egyptians. They were slaves. They were bound. And God promised them to take them to a land flowing with milk and honey, a promised land, and to be their God. And right now, in a moment in history, when he's getting this instruction, they're in the desert or what's known as the wilderness. And so God wants to be with them because he wants to guide them. And he wants to guide them through his presence. He wants to guide them, and he guides them through a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. But he also guides guides them through his word, law and ordinances. We've studied all of this. But he was teaching his people the proper way to worship, hence books like Leviticus and Numbers. Getting the order is a matter and is important as well. And so this whole, this whole tabernacle is pointing us to Jesus, and Hebrews gives us a lot of room to say, hey, it's a shadow of things to come. This is all about Christ, and gives us all this running commentary on the Old Testament in Exodus of all this. And so it's been really fun to look at it, because we know, being Christians, here and now, through the gospel of how Jesus died and rose again, well, he's redeemed other people as well, sinners, saved by his grace. We, the Bible says we're slaves to sin and he snatched us from darkness into light and now we are children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And he gives us a promise of a great land, a land flowing of milk and honey, one where we actually see him face to face. It's called heaven. Did you know the word heaven is translated tabernacle or uh, the dwelling place of God? That's the hope and promise we have and their significance in all of it for the tabernacle not only points to the garden that was, but also to the garden that's going to come. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. But yet, in our lives, we know this life is not heaven. We're sort of in this journey, a sojourner, a citizen of heaven, but yet this is not our home. We're in the desert, we're in the wilderness, we're wandering, and yet God meets us with beautiful promises that the Spirit of God now dwells with us. Sin has been removed, and His presence, He wants to guide us through fellowship and through His Word. As we look to Scripture, he gives us guidance. He sanctifies us. He teaches us the proper way to worship him and to have faith here on this earth because the whole idea is God wants to be with his people. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. And so there's some beautiful pictures and poetry and things happening here where you couldn't even make it up if you try. The Israelites would have continually to be reminded of this as they're setting up and they're tearing down. And they're setting up and they're tearing down. This is all manageable. Even the ark that's made of gold was even in pieces so they can carry this thing. It, it, was the, it was the portable pipe and drape of the old school testament, right? Much better than this, though, because this is really annoying to set up, up, up continually and tear down continually. But they actually did that in the Old Testament. They, they set this thing up. They tore it down. And, and because... They had to move, and their enemies was all around them. And so they had to be a portable people traveling. And so this pillar would go before them in fire. The pillar would go before them in, in a cloud. And the people would constantly just be looking. Okay, where's the cloud? Is this there? Okay, it's not. Is there? Is it not? Is it there? And they would just have this sensitivity that we need to be with the presence of God in order to be safe. Because it's safe when you follow God. I want you to be reminded Today, as a follower of Jesus, it is safe to follow him. It is good to be guided by the Spirit, to listen, to be sensitive to the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, and be sensitive. Okay, well, God, where are you at? Where are you at? Okay, I want to go. Okay, you stop and I'm stopping. You move and I'm moving. You see, God wanted his people to follow his presence. He not only wanted to enter into their life, he wanted 
them to submit their lives to him and follow him. There was a mutual relationship happening, and we're seeing this. We talk a lot about right now in the 21st century, a personal relationship with Jesus. God wanted a personal relationship with them, one where there would be fellowship and they would constantly be going back and forth even then. Because you remember their enemy. We, we looked at in Exodus chapter 16. They had already gotten a one battle by now. The um, Amalekites in chapter 17, they had help and victory because of the Lord fought for them. But even before then, they knew the blessing of following the cloud and following the Lord in God's presence. As, they de- as God defeated the Egyptians, as in Exodus chapter 14, um, they followed God a- across the Red Sea. When you follow God, you actually do see miracles. One, i.e., first off, he forgives your sin and makes you new. He regenerates you. He makes you spiritually born again. He could change your attitude. He could change your life. He transforms as you follow and enter into a relationship with him. And so let me show you this picture of sort of um, what's going on and read. Uh, I know it's not a cheesy art frame, okay? But I know it's sort of small, but I just want to give you sort of an outline arrangement of the camp because you have to realize everything in this whole nation now is centered on the tabernacle, okay? Now, this commentary, it's super small. You can't read it, but I'll read it for you. It says, the Israelite camp in the wilderness was not a regular nomadic camp. The book of Numbers describes the organization of as a military camp. Israel became God's army and God, Israel's king, went among them in military march. God was now the center of their lives as they were saying, where's the cloud? Okay, where's the cloud? Where's the cloud? He was the center of their families. He was the center of the community. Numbers 3 actually gives us the details of who camped around each side. You may want to study it on your own time. I don't want to take all that fun away from you, okay? Okay, you can, you can read Numbers, and it actually shows all these tribes that would actually center around the east and the west and the north. Now, the east gate was very significant. That was where you entered in. And so the leader, Moses, Aaron, and his sons of the Levites would actually camp right outside the gate or the courtyard. Okay, that's where the, the officiating is. Even if you look at you know, Scripture, usually in cities, that's where actually the, um, the, the legal matters, the, those type of things would happen at the, the gate of the city. It would be like an official authority. And the authority is... There's a gate, you only enter in there, and there's three tribes right there on the right. I want to mention one tribe, you probably know it, it's the tribe of Judah. They had the most warriors of all the tribes. Why is this significant? Well, Judah had the most warriors of all the tribes, so they guarded the east side of the tabernacle. They were actually at war. It wasn't just like their home. This was very unsettling. They were up they were down, they were camped around, and if it moved, man, we got to move. If God stayed, man, we got to stay, and we got to prepare ourselves. So you take this side, you take that side, you take that side, you take this side. We're at war. We're in enemy lines. We're in the desert. The stakes are high, but God is with us. Now, Exodus 13, you remember, they were to pick up, they were to go at any moment and in Deuteronomy 133, Moses actually reminded the people of this, uh, as it says that the people went before, uh, that God went before them, and they were to seek out a place to pitch their tents in fire by night and in cloud and by day to show them uh, by what way they should go. God wanted to be the center of their lives in the war and in the midst of the trial and the hardship. He said, I want to be the center just like he tells us he wants to be the center 
of our lives, in the wars, in the trials, in our journey. God was with his people, and they responded by faith to follow him. They were sensitive to God. It's a good reminder to be sensitive to God the Holy Spirit as he be leaning our lives and dwelling with God here on this earth. Because, my friends, we are not in a playground. It only takes a few moments to follow Jesus. You know this is uh, warfare. This is not just a game. This is not our home. Uh, the enemy is real. And yet, Romans 8, 14 through 15 says this. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption of the sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We, we don't fear because Jesus has the ultimate victory. We have faith in this spiritual warfare. And you realize there is a good and the evil. There is a principalities and demonic presence and fallen angels and the devil is real. And yet in the midst of that, the Bible says we can still center our lives on God and his presence. And if we follow the spirit of God and have the spirit of God, we are children of God. And we can actually, actually bask in God's love in the middle of a warfare, in the middle of this world right now, our wilderness. So let me show you another picture. Because the Israelites walked with the Lord in the desert um, and had a certain arrangement. And this arrangement, again, it's fuzzy, it's little, but the beginning, they would always have the Ark of the Covenant go before them. God said he wanted to fight their battles, and God would have the Levites, uh, Aaron, his sons, right, that whole tribe, they would, they would go before. Then there was Issachar, uh, Issachar, Judah, and Zebulun. Those were the largest tribes and had the most warriors. They would go right behind the Ark of the Covenant. Then there would be more Levites, and then they would have the tabernacle and all of the elements of the tabernacle and the tents and the curtains and all the things that we're thinking about. Then there would be another tribe, Reuben, Simeon, Gad. Then there would be more Levites, the sacred objects carried by the Levites. Then behind them, there'd be six tribes, uh, Dan, Asher, Natali, Ephraim, uh, Manasseh, and Benjamin. Boom. I tried to quiz someone if they knew all the 12 tribes, and I failed earlier. One commentator said this, As the tribes traveled through the wilderness towards the promised land, they formed a military march at the head. God's presence led the contingent as the Levites carried the ark, the tribes according to their military strength. It was crazy. It was nuts. They didn't even know they were going, but yet there was an order to leading of the Spirit and this cloud before them. Numbers 10, again, I could have blown your mind and just done 17 Bible studies in Numbers and Leviticus. But I'm Numbers 3 now, Numbers 10, gives you a little bit more context about this arrangement and orders. Verses 35 through 36 say this, and, whatever the ark, and whenever the ark is set out, Moses said, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. And when it rested, he said, Return, O Lord, to the ten thousand of Israel. There are thousands upon thousands of people that are basing their entire life on who God is and leading of God. And there is a whole system, a whole order. And this text says, when the cloud leaves, Moses says, all right, everyone, arise. God got this. Let's follow him. 
I don't think there was any leaning on their strength. If they got left behind, they would be done. Okay? There was an order, there was a system, and there was a place. And I think this is, of course, is a good picture of our spiritual warfare as we face in Christians. As we read texts like Ephesians chapter 6, and it talks about the principalities and the heirs, and, and to put the full armor of God, that there's this cosmic war going on, and God's people are to put on a dependent life on Him, the full armor of God, relying on Him and following Him in community. You see, you notice how these tribes were together. There was an order. Uh, they can help one another out. They can fight with one another. They can thrive. The Bible says in our spiritual journey, so too with us, that we're to put on the shield of faith that is actually connected with other believers. God doesn't want his people traveling alone or isolated, but to be connected, following orders from others that are stronger than us and passing our faith on to others. We are linked. We're to be discipled while making disciples. And there is an order in a process. Again, Numbers 36, uh, Numbers 10, verse 36 says that they would settle back or they would rest. They would set up their camp with the tabernacle as God rested. Remember that God is our rest. Although we are in a spiritual battle, we may fight in a different way that looks differently. Our fight is spiritual, the Bible says. It's through prayer. It's through praise. It's through worship and intercession. That's why we're fasting and praying calling it pray first. We seek God in the spirit and the, the way that we wage warfare, not carnal. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but spiritual strongholds and principalities. And these are different warfare and a different method. And so this may look all organized and nice, but they would have not known what to do or how to do. And God said, we'll do this. And you may not know how to live this Christian walk in this life, but, but God says, we'll do, do this. And so he gives this order and I say and mention all of this because as we look to our text in verses 9 through 19, this is the outer courtyard. This is what they were surrounding themselves with. This was the center of their life. This is the courtyard. Now, it was 50 cubits by 100 cubits. But if I could be so kind, I'm going to speak in feet. It was 75 feet by 150 feet. That's how large this thing was. The fence was comprised of 20 bronze posts on the longer sides, the north and south side, and on the east and west side, it was only 10 bronze posts. And so these posts, they were held, uh, they held fine white linen about seven and a half feet wide by silver hooks and bronze bases. I say hooks, ESV says tenons. All right, I'm just saying. Uh, you couldn't see over the curtain, or over the fence, it served as a barrier. So I want you to imagine this is all going on. There's all this different stuff, but can you see past this pipe and drape? No, because it's just a little bit higher than you. But you would see something, and you would see something sparkle from a distance, and you would see something stand out, this white linen, and a whole bunch of silver as the sun glistens on it. Now, one commentator says this, Kaiser he said about this fence wall gives us a fourfold purpose. It was a barrier in that it prevented unlawful approach. It was a protection keeping out wild animals. It was a positive line of uh, demarcation between the world and the holy presence of God. And four, with its single gate, it was a way to approach God. I want us to just to ponder on this. 
As we think about this quote and what he said and just sort of meditating on why an outer court, why not just the tent of meeting? Well, first it was a barrier, he says, and that makes absolute sense. Remember that there were certain rules to enter God's presence. God actually gives barriers and rules and order for our structure and our good. If you ever have a child, you know this. Give them order and structure. Thank God school's coming. Because without it, man, my sons and my daughters and children that are in this room that are on summer break, y'all don't know when to go to bed. There's no boundaries. You just do whatever you want. But how do you create structure? How do you create order? Well, God has given that, and he wanted them to approach his presence and him in a certain way. And so God wants us to follow his law and his rules and gives us boundaries for a reason, gives us structure. Our God is a God of order, the New Testament says. And the reason why there was order is because there was all these white linens or walls, but then in the front there was a gate. It was a purposeful gate. It was a beautiful gate. There was a single way to approach God in this gate, through this gate. It was on the east side of the courtyard, and it had four posts with screen light embroidery, and these colors were beautiful. The text says it was purple, it was red, it was um, uh, purple, red, and blue. That's one, and then there's one more, white and gold, I think. You have to read it. I think I have my notes here. Um, but this was the only way in and out of the courtyard. And we know sort of from the last week's text, this was on purpose because as you enter the courtyard, God wanted you, the first thing you see is the bronze altar, is a sacrifice, is to deal with sin to get through his presence. So, so he, he didn't want you to just go around or through the walls because he wanted you to face the stuff that was inside of you and to take care of your sin. And so we know, and we've looked at the colors, we looked at all of these different things. So I'm not gonna go in detail, but even in John chapter 10, Jesus says that I am the great door. If you want to have this abundant life that I promise, there's only one good shepherd and you got to go through the door. He's the way, the truth, and life. We enter into God's presence through Jesus and by his great sacrifice. And so this gate was 30 feet long and God wanted the people to enter into it so they would see the bronze altar and remember how to approach God that we must have sin atoned or forgiven. Now, Kaiser says there's a few other rules because it was a, a positive line of demarcation between the world and the holy presence of God. This fence was to remind the people how special this courtyard was. Now, you, you couldn't just go casually into the courtyard. It's not like, well, I'll just go do my own thing. No, you would actually go in reverence, in awe. You would be reminded that God is special and you're meeting with a special person. Because in order to do that, you would have to give something valuable like a sacrifice, and like a lamb. This is why the Psalms continually reminded the people. Psalm 104 says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. There's a certain way that we're to go to God when we look at God and study his beauty and, and look at the order and everything he's written down. It's for our good so that we wouldn't just enter into the presence of God not realizing how beautiful and crazy and amazing it is. Psalm 96, and a lot of the Psalms talk about the courtyard. Psalm 96, 8 says, Give the Lord the glory, do his name, bring an offering, and come into his courts. So, so this fence actually would orient your heart to look at sin, know that God could take care of it. And the reason why there was this fence and boundaries so that you can have a thankful heart 
and give praise to God. And there was actually a space where you can give praise, where you could enter in. Sort of like when we set up church and have worship and song, that we're entering in and making space to publicly sing to the Lord and thank Him and worship Him, as we see in these other books of the Torah that they're commanded to do. God wanted to remind them that being in His presence was special, and it wasn't just for anyone before His people. Hence, a very practical need. The last thing He says, it's just a protection in the wilderness. There was wild animals. You know, not everyone had the privilege to enter into God's court, to go in God's presence, and to be God's people. Not animals, not even other humans. It was God's people that were deemed by His blood. When He paid the price for their sins, they freely offered, he got, they got forgiveness, and they would receive that and worship Him alone. And so too with us. There are certain ways, parameters of our salvation, barriers, and you just can't do whatever you want. All, re- all roads do not lead to heaven. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 through 15. And you, Christian, who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcised in your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. See, the linen curtains were to remind us of this redemption. It was a white curtain to represent God's holiness, His perfection, His glory. These these white walls were to remind the camp that God and the tabernacle were holy, were special, were set apart. They would be carefully teared down, carefully set up to show God's purity for the people. And they would be a stark contrast to the people's clothings. Now, by God's grace and the miracle, the Bible actually does say that the Lord sustained their shoes and their garments for like 40 years in the desert. But can you just imagine how stank that would be? Even if they started white, it ain't going to be white after long, right? You're in the desert. You're in the sand. You getting dirty. It's raining. It's dusty. And their linen would not be a white linen. It would be stained and it would be a stark contrast to see this beautiful white compared to the garments that they had. It was God's holiness compared to our righteousness. These walls were set up so beautifully because their bases were bronze. And we looked at this all over the place. The whole courtyard courtyard was full of bronze because bronze meant judgment. And then on the top of the pillar and, and these hooks or tenants throughout the poles were silver. And we know and we looked at how silver is actually a picture of redemption. It was like God was saying from a distance, you guys are not pure. I am. But the only way that you're going to get pure, enter in this white, holy, special place is through judgment. But I'll take your judgment and I'll remind you, and the pillars will be flashing wood to remind you of a Messiah to come, but also silver for your redemption. And it will sparkle. And the only way that you can go through is that east gate, that beautiful gate, that again is another picture of the Messiah to come to redeem you. Like Paul would put it in this way in 2 Corinthians 5.21, the New Testament. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. This is what happened on the cross. This is how we get redemption. 
This was the outer courtyard that people looked at over and over and over again. Wow. Judgment. The only way that I could become white and be holy and be redeemed is going to God and taking care of this sin and looking to Jesus or looking to the Messiah to come. John, the Apostle John, We'll see another picture of heaven in Revelation because, again, it's, you got Hebrews commentary. you got this tabernacle, but the tabernacle to come. John in chapter, uh, Revelation 7.14, I don't have a slide, but it says that the saints there, they were washed. They had um, washed their robes, and they made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Their robes were turned white through the blood of the Lamb. I want you to think about that in heaven and in the tabernacle. It was a picture that Christ's blood, his sacrifice, the cross would make you holy, that you could be white as snow, that this special place you could enter in if you came according to how God wanted you to enter in, not by because you're special or because you had it all together or that you took a bath and cleaned your life up, but you would bring your dirty clothes and you would get the invitation and you would bring something valuable and offer a sacrifice and God would forgive. And it was nothing on your merit but by God's grace. There was judgment on the base. There was the pole and there was silver. And that silver brought the white holiness. God invites us to enter into his courts, the tabernacle through his son, the gate, to see the seriousness of our sin and to bring it to the altar of bronze for forgiveness. What a beautiful picture and invitation. And the prophet Isaiah would say in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, So come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, and they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. There is transformation through Jesus and his blood, and a beautiful picture of redemption and forgiveness in Jesus through these linens or these fin this fence. But this fence isn't just about our redemption and us. The fence is about Jesus. So this fence is telling us that Jesus is holy, the Messiah, the one to come, the gate, the outer courtyard, the, the all of it, that we, we fall short of his glory, the Bible says. And oftentimes, I think, I think even as Christians especially, we forget this. Like we forget the deity and power of Jesus, his majesty. Because when he first came, he came as a suffering servant. He came as fully, uh, fully God, but yet gave that power up and gave, became fully man. He was both fully man and fully God. But what are the elders crying out in heaven? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. There are in the future heaven, the, the tabernacle, the one to come in heaven where that's where our hope and glory is. And they are reminding people 24-7 just how special Jesus is. Just how beautiful he is. Now check this out. I just want you to hear this. I don't want you to even turn your Bible. I didn't make a slide for it. Because God gave a vision to John in Revelation chapter 1 of Jesus. And you may not think about Jesus like this. But the text says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven gold lampstands. And in the midst of these lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and with 
golden sash around his chest. The heirs of his head were white, like white wool. Like snow, his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in the furnace, and his voice was like the roars of many waters. In his right hand, he had seven stars, and from his mouth, well, it came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full light. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And this is a picture of Jesus in his glory. You remember when Jesus had a moment like this in Matthew, the Gospels. He was having a meeting with Moses and Elijah. Mount figure of transformation and Peter didn't know what to do, and he gets overwhelmed. He's seeing Jesus just turn bright white and special, and he's seeing God's glory through this meeting, and he's like, let's set up an altar. Let's set up a, 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 a something to set up for all these three, Elijah, Moses, and Jesus. And God, like the Father, stops him in his tracks. Moses and Elijah go away, and he says, no, behold my son. Look and listen to him. He's the one that the Father said he is pleased. He's the one that is so pleased that he would be the exact imprints of the glory of God and live out a perfect life that you and I couldn't live and take on humanity as a servant to die for our sins and then three days later be so holy that he would rise again three days later because death couldn't even hold him. He's this powerful, this majestic, this special. Jesus is holy. And the Israelites would have had this type of reverence for God. As a tabernacle was set up, it shows us God's holiness, but it's also a loving invitation of forgiveness. Tony Murda in his commentary said, though God would dwell in the middle of the Israelites' uh, encampment, it was clear that he was still separate from them. Walls and curtains would guard and separate his presence from them. He is holy, but he is also merciful and gracious in making a way back to him. And this is why these two verses, the very end of this chapter, I believe, are so important. Verses 20 and 21, how they were to bring the oil. For this is a picture of God with us. God with us. He wanted them to come to him in reverence and in worship. And they knew how reverent and holy he was, even the priest, the high priest would go in. If he wasn't pure, they would fall down and die. They're going to look at the garments and the clothes and how pure they had to be. They would have been very scared because God was so holy, so different, so powerful. It would have crippled them in relationship. They were seeing miracles. And we've seen this in the text. As you study this aspect of from their mindset, they would have been afraid. They wouldn't have wanted to gone into the tabernacle or the tent of, of meeting. Because you remember in Exodus 19 when God met with Moses on Mount Sinai and he showed a little bit of his glory at the mountain? It says in that chapter that all the people in the camp, they trembled. They trembled. They, they didn't even want to go to the foot of the camp, the base. God said, don't even go here. There's their separation. They would have been so freaked out. And in this moment of now, okay, I'm going to give you all the instruction for the the tabernacle, and it do not get close, and you have to die, and there's blood and holiness and presence. They would have had such a fear, such a reverence. God commands Moses now and tells the people, bring to me pure beaten oil for the light. 
that the lamp may regularly be set to burn. God wanted people to worship him and to bring pure oil to him as worship, to remind them that they could come and have faith and participate in their salvation and redeeming work. To just remind them, hey, there's a holy salvation, but I want you and I'm going to allow you to participate by faith. Come. Now we, we know, looking at Scripture, oil represents the Holy Spirit. And God could have just lit the holy place by himself. Matter of fact, that's sort of how we conclude the most holy place is lit, just by the presence of God. We read in verse uh, Revelation chapter 1 that Jesus' face is like brighter than the sun. In heaven, there will be no sun because God's glory is that bright. But yet, in the holy place, they needed oil for the lampstand, and God made it this way so the people could participate and come to him because that oil needed to be bright, be uh, lit day and night continually for the priest. And so the priest would collect from the people for these lamps. Oil was for the lamps and was provided lamp, uh, light for them and continuous, continually burning. Uh, the priests, they tended to the lamps in shifts to ensure this for both day and night. And Psalm 134 actually tells us that the light reminded the people that God's presence was among them. It reminded them to worship him day and night. God's light was shining on them. God said, I want you to provide a way where you can see my work and I could be your people. And there was his people and his presence with him. God in his majesty and in his holiness invited the people to have faith and to approach him with a gift. He made a way for the people to turn to him in reverence and not run out of fear. And the people participating in this Giving this oil, the priest would remind them that God has great mercy and love for them. You don't have to be so fearful that you run from him, but you, you could run to him. And look, God invited you to participate. God doesn't need you to do the work, but he invites you to participate. And he would command the priest to bless the people as they came, just to bring this simple offering that God really didn't even need. In Numbers chapter 6, it's known as the priestly blessing. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine, uh, face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. So the people were going to the priest. The priests were now blessing them, saying, God is delighted with your faith. He loves you. He wants to give you peace. There's a way for you. You don't have to be afraid. You can enter in. And so too with us, as we participate by faith and bring God our lives as a living sacrifice, the New Testament says, something of great value. As beginning of wisdom, we fear the Lord and we offer our lives to him. His spirit burns bright in our hearts to remind us that he is with us. The Bible even says that we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. He reminds us that he is with us, even though he's holy. He's made a way for us to approach him. And so he commands the people to come. And so too in the New Testament, he commands us now to come and encourage us as followers of Christ. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, 
that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So as we approach God with reverence and fear, the Bible says now our high priest blesses us. But we no longer have a priest that just offers a sacrifice once every year. But the Bible says in Hebrews, Jesus now is our great and high priest. And he's actually interceding, blessing us, praying for us, cares for us, is honored, and, and it's impossible to please God without our faith. And he invites us to participate and to bring things of value, to have the oil lit in our hearts, to submit to the Spirit and enter into relationship through faith, through his Son, fellowship through the Spirit. So I'll close with this and we'll take communion and enjoy sort of pondering, thinking, and finishing by just singing a worship song about how Jesus made a way where we can have his presence. But Psalm 65.4 says this, Blessed is the man you choose and cause to approach you, that he may dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house and your holy temple. Man, what a blessing it is to approach God now in worship and to thank him for redeeming us by his blood. God invites all those who are weary, all those who are brokenhearted, all those that deal with sin to come now, to enter in and to bring their lives in submission. And as he does that, he lives in us and burns bright in the light in the world that we live in. And we could be used by God. He doesn't need us, but he wants us. He's relational. And it's so cool that this relationship is by his blood, his work, his goodness. All we have to do is just enter in with thanksgiving and praise. And so let's do that now. Let's sing a song and let's take communion together. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, God, for how you're moving in our hearts. We continue to pray for strength and movement and just fellowship with the Holy Spirit. God, we want to know more of you, submit more of you, love you. And uh, I thank you, God, that um, even though you're a holy God, that we're unworthy. Lord, we can enter in by your blood. We can enter in by your gate. We can enter in, Lord, through the bronze altar of sacrifice. We're made clean by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And so we want to testify as we participate in communion that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. The work that you did on the cross for our salvation, your blood being shed, your body being broken. God, we look to you and we praise you and bless you. We enter into your presence with thanksgiving in our hearts. And we say, thank you, God. We want to be satisfied in you, Lord. Help us to look to you over and over again. Thank you, God, how you speak to us, you minister to us. And I pray you do that now as we participate in communion and enjoy presence, your presence with one another and with me, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Hi, this is Pastor Daniel Williams at Redemption Church in Delray Beach. Thank you so much for listening to that message. We pray it was an encouragement. It was a blessing to you as we love to pursue and to proclaim Jesus together. And so no matter what you're listening, whether it be YouTube or our podcast, you can go to more resources at redemptiondb.com and even partner with us in ministry to pursue and to proclaim Jesus. God bless you. And thank you so much for listening.